chapter 1 is where we're going to be mainly at this morning, Genesis chapter 1. And I basically want to preface this morning by asking a question, all right? I could get myself in trouble here right now, but um, um, hopefully you'll be able to see the point as to why I'm asking these questions in a second here. So before you pick up stones and get ready to throw them at me for being kind of a troublemaker, just just hear the whole scenario of questioning and, 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 and just preserve your comments until the end of why I'm asking this question. But first of all, all right, here's the questions we're going to ask. This is definitely audience participation, since you guys are really excited this morning and really happy. We have a couple questions. I just want your guys' input. Okay, so first of all, here's what it is. Um, just a series of questions kind of asking you what you prefer. Okay, so the first question is this, right? Um, how many of you are like actual PC users, all right? If, if you've got, you know, the, the, the guts to raise your hand, all right? All right, it's okay. All right, we still love you, PC users. Okay, how many of you are like Mac users? Oh, I knew this was a spirit-filled church. Um, how many of you, I mean, it's okay, you can admit, how many of you are kind of Linux users? All right, both of you. All right. Great. God bless you, too. All right, that's good. Good, good. Um, how many of you guys are, um, you know, baseball fans? All right? You, you, like, you prefer baseball over football. Baseball. All right? All right? Okay. Um, kind of in that line of questioning, uh, how many of you guys are, like, Philly fans? All right? Right now, World Series? Philly fans. Okay, one of you. All right, great. Um, God bless you. What about Tampa? All right? One of you. Wow, you guys are like, uh, all right, you guys all into the World Series? Yeah? Okay. Obviously, that's a dud. Um, football fans? Football fans? Yeah, handful of you? Okay. Uh, mixed martial arts? I'm like the only one? Okay. All right. Next question. This one, this one will be fun. All right. How many of you, and it's okay, we still love you, We're no, you know, no one's going to judge you. How many of you are actually, like, you're Republicans? All right? Okay. How many of you are Democrat? All right. All right. Cool. Praise Jesus. Um, how many of you are like, like neither one? Like you don't really care. You, you're not like a party. All right. Just like whatever. Whoever's good. All right. Good. Good. All right. All right. One more question for you guys. All right. How many of you want to be treated with dignity? All right. All right. You understand where I'm going with that? Like if you didn't raise your hand, come on. You got to play along with the game. All right. We all, bottom line, want to be treated with dignity, all right? We all are created with that particular desire to have and be treated with dignity, value, and respect. This is how we are made. God created us that way. So the question is, is how, how did we get dignity? Where did that come from? All right, where did that come from? It's the important question I think we need to kind of investigate. Where did the concept of uh, being given dignity come from? Because what happens in the secular uh, world in which we live, we have this notion, this understanding that basically we evolved, we came from nothing, and uh, we're just sort of a bunch of random mutations kind of come together, and we just so happen to become who we are. And ultimately, one day we'll die, and annihilation will come. So somehow, in between being nothing and annihilation, we somehow feel like we are owed respect and dignity. So the question is, how do we have that? It just it seems inconsistent to think that if we begin from randomness or nothingness and end in annihilation, then this concept of somehow in between 
having or being given dignity just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Okay? So the question that I really want to try to understand this morning um, in terms of the larger picture is where does our dignity come from? Okay? Dignity comes, as the Bible would answer that, from God. Because we are made in the image of God. We are created by God for His purposes. Therefore, we were vested with dignity, with value, with respect. And so it's that larger theme that I want to try to understand and kind of dig into and get our theological understandings and bearings straightened about this because I believe that personally a failure to understand God in His proper light will ultimately lead to a failure to understand a proper perspective of humanity because man is an important part of God's created order. So I want to try to understand it. That's where we're at this morning in terms of this kind of larger concept of theology that we're going to be taking a look at. So what I want to do right now is I basically want to read a verse, and then we're going to essentially pray, and we've got a lot of different verses that we're going to be taking a look at here this morning to kind of build out this larger picture. So if you guys have your Bibles open to Genesis chapter 1, take a look at verse 26, and we'll read this, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get to work in this larger picture of what humanity is all about. Genesis chapter 126 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. So if you want kind of a quick synopsis or summary of what we've already done up until this point, it's all right there. In the beginning, God, the Trinity, right? You see God, the Trinity. That was our very first uh, lesson that we looked at. Secondly, God said, God brings about self-disclosure. God speaks, reveals himself, and then God creates is what we looked at last week. God's creation. And then fourthly is what we're taking a look at today. God's creation of mankind. So all kind of in that one verse summarizes the last four uh, studies that we've taken a look at. The Trinity. God's speaking and self-disclosure. Thirdly, God's creation. Fourthly today, mankind itself. So with that, what I want to do right now is I want to pray. I'm going to ask God to kind of help us. We've got a lot to study here today. Um, kind of as I've been saying the past few weeks, um, a lot of verses we're going to be tackling. So I'd encourage you guys, make sure you got a snack, something to eat. It could be long today, but hopefully not. And hopefully you guys will be encouraged. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We need your help right now. We need you to come and just open up our eyes. We need you to come and just let your word speak truth into our hearts. And Lord, for us to just simply hear what it has to say and respond accordingly. God, we just pray this morning that you would be glorified, you would be exalted through the opening of our eyes and through the enjoyment of yourself. And God, perhaps if there's even people here this morning that are image bearers of God, yet have wandered away, yet have fallen away, and have consistently just found themselves living within a shattered mirror and a shattered image of who they were meant to be. God, I pray that through Jesus, that you would restore and redeem the image of God within their life and bring them back to the purpose for which you've created them. We ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's just a handful of questions that we're going to be taking a look at. And uh, so what I want to do, I want to immediately just jump into this. And the first question I want to ask is this. How ultimately was man created? How was man created? 
So hopefully this will help us to understand this a little bit better. So one of the things, first of all, we need to understand in terms of the storyline is this. So I want you to take a look at this. Beginning at about verse 26, let's read a few verses. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over uh, the livestock, and over the earth, and over all creeping things that creep on the earth. And so God made man in his image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. So first of all, what I want to basically point out is this, is that God created man in his image and in his likeness. There's been a lot of speculation as to what does this mean in his image and in his likeness throughout the ages. Some theologians have thought that it's kind of two different things. Image and likeness are two distinct things. I think they're basically synonymous with one another. They basically mean the same thing. In God's image, in God's likeness, something about who we are, this is how God created us. So first of all, what I want to see with regard to this is God created us in His image. Alright? What does that mean? Right? There's been a lot of speculation. What does that mean? And I think a lot of good uh, analysis as to what this means. Here's a couple of examples. Basically, the way this is typically broken down to some think that maybe man is created in God's image and likeness because man is intelligent. Man has intelligence. He's able to think. He's able to reason. He's able to communicate. Out of intelligence comes all of these things. We're able to kind of um, uh, put, put larger concepts together, maybe difficult concepts, and, and think through these things when it comes to big issues or problems in the world in which we have. Um, you know, it's, it's typically not so much the goats that are trying to figure out cures to, like, tuberculosis. Right? It's humans. We're vested with intelligence. We're able to think. We're able to consider large concepts. I mean, you know, guys like Stephen Hawking, as a human, he thinks. But these are all pictures of aspects by which theologians have tried to grasp the understanding. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? So I think, yes, definitely, but not entirely intelligent. Because what about people that don't have minds to think? What about people that are basically in a coma? Are they less than human? No. They're definitely human. It's just that for whatever reason, they're stunted. They're not able to think properly. However, howbeit, still remaining the human aspects and being made in the image and likeness of God. Another idea is the concept of creativity. Man is created as a creative being, right? That's basically where we get culture from. And the idea of uh, poetry and artisticness and uh, music and all of these other things. In the human world, or in the world in which we live in, it's humanity that's, you know, putting out record labels and making art. Except for, have you guys seen that elephant on YouTube? Have you seen that one? I have no idea how, you guys know what I'm talking about? No, okay, sorry. Go on YouTube, type in painting elephant, you'll find out what I'm talking about. Alright, back on track. But the, for the most part, it's humanity that's creating art, creating music, creating beauty, doing this type of stuff that humanity is able to do. And oftentimes, that's attributed to the fact that man is made in the image of God. And again, I think that's partially correct. That's, I don't think it's entirely correct because, again, what happens to people that are not able to be creative? People that are not able to somehow intelligently think and intelligently be able to construe words together to create rhyme or rhythm or poetry or music or painting and things of that nature. I think it's 
por- it's a portion of the fact that we are made in the image of God, but not in its entirety. Another aspect is, of it is this, is that we were made, in a sense, in the image of God, to be a part of community, right? We as human beings, for the most part, um, we, we live in community, and we want to be part of community. We looked at this a few weeks ago, that this is part of the drive behind modern technology to try to get people all connected, right? Through uh, instant messaging, through cell phones, through text messaging, through, you know, all the different means that we have today at our hands to try to figure out how to stay connected with each other, right? But the reality is, is that some think that maybe it's because of the fact, you know, this is one of the evidences of the fact that we are made in the image of God, that we are prone towards being in community with one another. Again, I think it's true, along with the others, but not in its entirety. Because of the fact of the matter is, is that not everybody that's alive on this planet today is either A, living in community, or B, being artistic, or C, you know, having the great smarts or the intelligence that every other people might have. So does that make them any less than human? Not at all. Rather, I think the fact that we are made in the image of God is not so much... Uh, clarified or understood by so much what we do, but by more of who we are. That God has given us dignity because we are made in the image of God. God has declared it that way. If you want to look at it that way, we are declared as image bearers of God. Alright? That's the way God has created mankind. So another thing to kind of point out in terms of um, how is man created, man was also created unique. Man is unique in this sense, okay? Now, when you look at, obviously, the order of creation, man is lesser than God, but he's higher than the animal realm, all right? Psalm 8 says this well. He talks about, you know, um, you know, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the, uh, and he says, you've made him a little bit lower. And some of your translations say angels. I think that's, a, that's an incorrect translation. Other translations say you have made him a little bit lower than God. The actual Hebrew word is Elohim. So when some translations say angels, I think it's more uh, readily, more specifically rendered God. That you have made mankind lesser than God, but he's still higher than the animals. So mankind, in sort of the creative order of things, is in a very unique place. And one of the errors and oftentimes we see in the world in which we live in today is we are either prone to think of man higher than what man truly is, right? This is part of a huge movement in, in the world today, especially in America. Maybe you guys are familiar with some guys like uh, Deepak Chopra, um, Eckhart Tolle, um, uh, even Oprah Winfrey. So one of the big moves behind her and some of the other people that she promotes is basically this elevation of man, that man is actually God. But man has not recognized the fact that he's God. Therefore, what we've got to do through training, through seminar, through a lot of money, through buying a book, whatever, or through therapy or whatever, what we do, we train ourselves to see the fact that we actually are God. The reality is, that's too high of a view of man. We're not God. But on the other hand, the flip side, sometimes portions of modern-day psychological therapy tends to, not all of it, but some of it tends to basically view man as being merely just sort of a a higher life form that happens to have a job. Alright? Drive a car. You're just kind of a monkey that happens to drive a car. That's about all you are. 
So therefore, it's kind of the concept that man is basically just a little bit above animals, right? And so this is why, I mean, I've even heard people kind of excuse concepts like, you know, if a guy is sleeping around and, you know, having sex behind his wife's back or girlfriend's back or whatever, just sort of dismisses, you know, we're just an animal, right? We're just an animal. I'm just in heat, right? That's all I am. I'm just in heat. It's just the way life is. And that's too low. We're not just animals and we're not God. We're unique. We're somewhere in between. That God created humanity special. And this is important to understand because, again, there's a lot of voices today that are trying to speak to us, that are trying to communicate other things than what the Bible declares. And what happens is we get all confused. We get messed up. We start hearing those voices. We start thinking, well, maybe I am God. Maybe I need to tap into something that will make me better or help me evolve faster or quicker or maybe this excuses why I do the things that I do because I'm just sort of a higher evolved animal. And that's, and that's about it. And here's what I'm trying to say is that God created us in between. We're unique. Neither God nor are we animal. Okay, with that, I also want to kind of point out um, the last thing in terms of how God created us is that he created us all equal. All right? Notice again what he says in the text. He says he created man and then he created woman. And there's this distinction. There's this distinction between man and woman. Alright? You guys know that there's a distinction? You guys know that? Right? You're like, amen. Alright? That's a good one. That's a good distinction. Alright? Now here's what our culture is really trying to do. It's just trying to sort of merge the two. And in a sense, in some sort of a means, in a way to try to help render more clearly uh, equality, it's almost like men are being asked to kind of become a little bit more feminine and females are almost, in a sense, expected to become a little bit more masculine and somehow will meet in the middle. In reality, this is again another distortion. That God created us unique, male and female, yet, ready, equal. All right? Equal. Now, unfortunately, what's happened over the past, you know, 100 years or so, or maybe even longer than that, is that I would definitely agree with modern-day women on this, that women have been suppressed and oppressed by stupid men. All right? I'll take the hit for that one. We are stupid. All right? We have this tendency to try to over emphasize our authority and our power, and oftentimes we overdo it. And by doing that, we strip other people, whether it be women or children, from certain vested rights that God has given to them. However, there is distinction. Though, equality. Alright? Women, it's a perfect place to say amen. Alright? God has created you equal. Now, over the past, you know, 50 or 25, 30 years or so, something like that, with regard to the feminist movement, in a lot of ways, this was sort of a revolt against uh, chauvinistic men who abused power and abused authority and basically tried to put women in their place by saying, your place only is with a dish towel in your hand and a wooden spoon in the other hand making me pop pies. Right? I mean, that's, that's your place at home. And unfortunately, what's happened is through the feminist movement, women kind of evolved or rose out of that and said, listen, 
Uh, we can shoot tobacco and get drunk and shoot a gun and work at a machine shop too. And they've kind of overcompensated by going into this realm of becoming masculine. You know, I'll tell you what, if the Bible would have just been taught and read and understood and believed, this verse could have set a lot of women free. Women, you don't have anything to prove. You are created equal. That's great. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. Whether it be an over-domineering husband or a jerk boss who's a man that's just mistreating you, women are created equal. Now, obviously, we do live in a culture that tends to maybe abuse that or maybe not be understanding of that, but that doesn't also mean that our roles are different. I mean, God gives us different roles, however unique. This is important to understand. God does give special roles to women. God gives special roles to men. And the way we work these things out are differently. I'll give you an example of this, all right? Now, men have the same emotion of love as women have of love. But a man's display of love is oftentimes different than a woman's display of love, all right? Now, if you're really sad and you're having a hard day and, you know, you're just, you're bummed, had a rough week and you need love, what love are you going to go to? Alright? I mean, you, you'd want the more compassionate kind of love, right? And, and, and there's, so what I'm trying to say is that in the bigger workout of all of this, though created equal, we work out in our roles differently ways in which God had created us. Alright? That's the way it works out. Alright? Now, at the same time, you know, recognizing the fact that our great distinction, great differences, right? I mean, women don't hopefully want to be men. Right? Nobody wants to shave their back for a living. Uh, and women, men, don't want to be like women. I mean, the bottom line is, is hopefully, if we understand this type of stuff correctly, we will just be satisfied with the fact that the way God created us is the way He created us. We are not any less or inferior or superior. We are equal, though different. That's a celebrated difference. It's something that we should recognize. It's something that we should rejoice in. So God creates both male and female, not only in his own image, not only as unique, not God, but not animal, unique, but he also creates a male and female, though equal. All right? So this is really, in a sense, how God has created man. So the next thing I want us to kind of take a look at and ask is the next question is, um, what, really, what was it that man was created to do? This is the bigger picture of vocation or calling. What was man created to do? Now, I want to point out that all of the things that we're going to be taking a look at on this all happened before the fall. Right? Next week, we'll take a look at the fall. We'll take a look at sin. What has sin brought upon humanity, brought upon the world? But all of these things that we're going to be taking a look at right now are, are basically all by God before the fall. God commands Adam and Eve to live out these things, or God best Adam and Eve in, made in the image of God with these certain vocations to basically live out as a means to glorify God, as a means to image for the beauty, the greatness, the wonder of God. So the first thing, and one of the things that God points out in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, take a look at your Bible, what that says right there. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. And then he goes on and he says, After our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, 
and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now jump forward real quick to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, And the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. All right? So God basically tells Adam to do this. In the last verse, you guys, uh, if you want, you can turn there real quick. You, you can look at it. Uh, Genesis chapter 9. This is immediately following the flood. All right? So this is you know, maybe several hundred years into the future after the flood. Um, Adam and Eve have been, you know, they're not there. This is Noah. All right? And Noah gets off the, uh, off the boat. And basically God says to Noah, Noah, till the ground. It basically reiterates to Noah everything that he communicated to Adam and Eve. So what is important to understand about this is that God's call to mankind was to really subdue and to cultivate the earth. Now, the way that the Jews had understood this was this idea that man was called to be a gardener, you know, kind of till the earth, to take care of the garden, and really to create beauty within what the parameters of what God has given to him, right? The idea of subdue means to subjugate. Some of your Bible translations might have that. Or to exercise dominion, some of your translations might say. Or to exercise dominion or authority over all things. Now, it's important to understand something here. Because sometimes people think about, well, authority is something that happens after the fall. Not so. Authority is something that God gives, and He intends for authority to be done in such a way that it's for the good of humanity for the good of the earth. And so here God gives Adam and Eve authority to basically exercise over all the fish of the sea, over all the birds of the air, over all the animals on the earth, over every rock, over every mountain, over every river, over every sea. God gives him this ability to have authority over all of this. It's the idea that he is ultimately to cultivate. Now think about some ways in which we cultivate things, all right? All right, think about this, all right? An old, like, adobe house, that comes from clay. So the idea of basically coming along, finding this mud in the ground, forming it into a brick, realizing we can make like, bricks out of this stuff. You let it sit out in the sun, and it gets really hard. If we do this times, you know, 100,000 or whatever types of bricks, then we can actually build a little house and live in this house. And once you build a house, you're going to realize, man, we can even build a bigger house. We can add another story on this house and keep building up. It's the idea of taking what God has given in the earth, using it in such a way that would be for the good of mankind. This is all part of the uh, mandate that God gives to subdue the earth, to cultivate the earth, so on and so forth. So that was one of the things that man was created. One of the other things is that God tells him to be fruitful and multiply or to fill the earth. Genesis 1.27. Take a look at that. It says this, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. There he adds, subdue it again. And he says, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So again, God reestablishes this. Take a look at, if you would, to Genesis chapter 9. Move forward again real fast. Genesis chapter 9. Uh, verse 1 says this, And then Noah, or God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to him, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You guys like kids? Yeah, you guys like kids? Kids are cool, huh? We're all right with that? All right, well, that's what God is saying. 
have kids, lots of kids, lots and lots of kids, big families. God's just like, have lots of them. Fill your community. And once your community gets too big, then fill another community. And once that community gets too big, fill another community. Once that gets too big, fill up a continent. Once that gets too big, fill up across an ocean and fill up another continent. So God's original plan, get this. Have big families, lots of kids, fill the earth, train your families how to subdue the earth, how to make brick, how to build things, how to build beautiful things, how to take gardens and somehow establish them in such a way where you can maximize fruitfulness from trees and berry bushes and have lots of apple cobbler and all sorts of blessings. This is, this is God's way of basically saying, fill the earth with every good and blessed thing that I've given you. In this case, lots of kids. Kids are good, right? Kids are really good. We've got a lot of kids in this church. They usually come second service. And it's, it's, it's wonderful. I love it. I love being able to see the kids in the church. One of the beautiful things is to just know that there are people that like love those kids that don't even have kids. That's one of the things I just love. I love seeing, you know, we've had parents that have been here, not parents, but people that have been here in the past that maybe have not been able to have kids. And it's almost like they just love being around these kids. It's almost like they adopt them as their own kids. Kids, God says, are a blessing. All right, are a blessing. So God says, in terms of what man is to do, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and as you fill the earth, these families that have been trained how to cultivate and trained how to love me, we will have an earth that is filled with the glory of God. Because in a, in a lot of ways, this is really what we're trying to do as a church. Right, some of us just kind of think, well, I thought we were just coming to church just to have church. Not really. Some of you might have thought that, but the reality is, is what we're trying to do is to raise up people that love God that have been basically reunited or reconciled to God through Jesus by having our sins taken away, nailed at the cross to be redeemed so that now we can carry on this continuation of God's work, loving God. None of this has ever changed, guys. Okay? This is where sometimes we think, well, wait a minute, when Jesus came, didn't He just come to save us, just go to heaven, that's it? I'll get to that in a moment here. I think that's a perversion of the way that our minds have continued to think. Jesus has never canceled out the global cultural mandate to go into all the world, not only just to make disciples, but to change them, to show the world that there is a better way to live in submission to the great God. To cultivate the earth, to subdue it in a way that demonstrates grace and kindness and the beauty of God. That's what he calls us to do. All right, the third thing that man was created to do was to create culture. This is oftentimes termed the cultural mandate. Most scholars and theologians refer to it as such. Basically, this is the idea that kind of falls under the banner to some degree of going to all the earth and to subdue it and to cultivate the earth, so on and so forth, is the idea really what, what culture is, is it's kind of this larger junk drawer of humanity of what we do. Right? I mean, everything we do can sort of just be thrown into this junk drawer called culture. So what's culture? 
Culture is what we do. It's how we live. It's how we think. It's how we eat. It's the music we listen to. It's the music we make. It's the art we enjoy. It's the art we create. That's what culture is. See, here's the reality. When you have people that are filled with the power of God, that love God, see God as the ultimate valuable treasure in all the universe, and the earth begins to be filled with these types of people, what happens is God becomes seen in all things. Music becomes about God. Art becomes somehow infused with the story of the revelation of God. All right? So what happens is culture begins to come out of humanity. So the reality is, is we as human beings create culture. One of the things that I think that I tried to communicate earlier, that as a church we're trying to do, is really trying to create a culture. Right? We're not trying to create a subculture within the culture. Really what we're trying to do is to create a counterculture. That we as a church are trying to communicate through our lifestyle to the world around us that life under the authority of a good God who has reconciled us to Himself through His Son who died is better. Children actually work better when God is the head of that household. Businesses actually run better. Not necessarily make more money, of course, but the idea, possibly even that. But the reality is that, hopefully, especially if it's being lived out practically, employees have bosses, if they're Christian, that actually treat them with kindness and fairness and respect. What we try to do is communicate to the world around us that there's a better way to live under the authority and the beauty and the greatness of God. Okay? That's this concept behind this cultural mandate to go into all the world and to not only preach the gospel, but by the preaching of the gospel. Jesus, I think when he even communicated that, had all of the Jewish background already implied. To go into all the world, to not only make disciples, to show the world what it looks like when they follow me, but naturally, arising out of that comes culture, the way that we live. All right. The fourth thing that I see is this: is we're to enjoy creation. Okay, take a look at First Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen. So turn your Bibles real quick. First Timothy chapter six, New Testament, right before Second Timothy. First uh, Timothy chapter six, verse seventeen says this. He's talking to rich people here. Actually, he's talking to Timothy to talk to rich people. Uh, they had rich people back then that well, we might have today. Uh, verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us all things to enjoy. So here's what he's basically communicating to Timothy to communicate to the rich people that go to the church that Timothy's pastoring. He's basically saying, listen, you guys who are rich, you got a lot of money. He's not saying go sell it all and be just like some hermit, right? Because that's the biblical way to live, to sell in everything. I know people that are like, listen, the only way to be Christian is to sell everything. It's not true, right? The way to live a Christian is to let our lives live in such a way where God is central in all things, even the way that we spend our money or think about our money, and here's what he's saying, is that, listen, the people in church that are rich, their proneness, their tendency is to trust in their money. 
says, tell them to stop trusting in their money. Their money will not help them. All right? If people, we just learned this, right? Hands on, past three weeks. Our country, right? Trusts in money, and all of a sudden, everything hits rock bottom. Right? People losing their jobs, and going crazy, and selling everything, and bailing out, and going bankrupt, and you know, it's basically, I think, a way in which, in very practical terms, God's just saying, listen, don't trust money. Trust me. But he goes on to say, teach them to trust me, who gives all things to be enjoyed. Paul also writes elsewhere that don't let anybody take things away from you. Every day that God gives you is a day that's basically to be enjoyed. Right, it's this idea. Here's what's happened. All right, here's what's happened. Around the fourth uh, century, around the fourth century, around three hundreds or so, there was a uh, there was a guy by the name of Manny. All right, he he lived in Persia, and uh, he, he was kind of a religious guy. He was influenced by what was called the Gnostic accounts of the gospel. And what had happened was uh, Manny basically established whole thinking around Gnostic accounts interwoven with um, forms of um, Zoroastrianism, but also infused with Christian concept and uh, religious thought, right? It started a movement which was called uh, Manichaeism. And what had happened was, literally for almost the next thousand years, Manichaeism was one of the main religious systems throughout the entire Roman Empire, all right? You guys ever heard of Augustine? Augustine, before he converted to Christianity, was a Manichaean. He followed this particular type of religious thought and thinking. And he basically converted around the time of the late 300s. Uh, one of the Roman emperors comes on the scene, and as Christianity was making its massive inroads into the actual uh, Roman system, uh, the religious or the, uh, the emperor of that time basically outlawed Manichaeism and said, uh, unless you convert to Christianity, we'll kill you. So uh, Augustine decided you know, I'll save my head and become a Christian. All right? But in that, I think it was obviously a genuine conversion. But Manichaeism basically was this form of Gnosticism infused with Christian thought, and it went something like this. Man is a dichotomy. All right? Man has two major aspects, his soul and his body. And the body is bad. Anything that the body or the flesh or physically uh, has to engage with is bad. Sex, bad. Eating too much is bad. Eating at all really is probably not even a good idea. Sleeping too much, you're lazy. The way to be free from all of this is to engage the soul through transformation within the soul. You basically become detached from the physical world. Now I want to point out that what's happened with that is even this mentality has crept into Christian thinking. Alright? And even in the Bible times, it was this idea that, you know, uh, eating certain foods are bad. And Paul talks about this in Corinthians. You know, there's people that are like, listen, I can only be vegetarian, therefore, because meat's bad, it's evil. If I eat meat, I get, you know, bad things happen to me spiritually. Paul's basically saying, look, it, everything was created by a good God. It's all good. What happens is we corrupt it. 